Trimester zero. It's not a term you hear often, but reproductive endocrinologists would like to change that. And for good reason. Getting reproductive care as early as possible could be the difference for some women between having one or more successful pregnancies or struggling for years with infertility and heartache. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Amy, a Harvard-trained OBGYN and reproductive endocrinologist. Amy has made it her mission to educate people about their fertility potential and remove the veil of mystery surrounding reproductive medicine and technologies. Dr. Amy sees a wide variety of patients, those looking for fertility preservation to those seeking to build their family now. On today's episode, we talk about the importance of a preconception visit and the questions you should be asking. We do a lot of fertility myth-busting, and we discuss the five tests that everyone should do to better understand their own fertility. We also talk about the importance of family planning to help avoid secondary infertility. This episode is a must-listen. My name is Dr. Amy Abazade, like have a nice day, and I'm a fertility myth-busting, egg-rescuing fertility doctor. So all that basically means is I went to school for a really long time to figure out how an egg and sperm come together. And I love talking to women like you who are entrepreneurs and who see a need to help people just live their healthiest life possible. So I'm super excited to share everything that we're going to talk about today. Yes, me too. Me too. I feel like the questions I have for you are like won't do it justice. So feel free to like if if you're like something's missing here, just go ahead and throw in things and facts and whatever whatever you want because you're okay. this is your area. <laughs> of course. Cool. So let's start by by talking about a little bit about like preconception care because this is like one of those things that I didn't know existed and okay. I think yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're used to thinking about pregnancy in three, now four trimesters. And I think people miss the opportunity to plan their pregnancy and think about trimester zero. And that's the trimester before you're pregnant. I, I give this analogy to patients. If you're going to jump out of a plane, what are you going to do? You're going to go to flight school. You're going to make sure your suit is on. And sometimes you have to get a note from your doctor to make sure you can jump out of that plane. You know, pregnancy is like that. I mean, when you say, I want to get pregnant, you have to accept all the possible, you know, Uh, complications that can happen in pregnancy. And you don't want at such an important time in your, in your life for someone to say, well, if you had done something different at the beginning, this horrible outcome may not have happened. And so talking about trimester zero is so important to me. Women should get a preconception health checkup. It doesn't have to be with me, obviously, but it can be with your OBGYN. And you have to know what questions to ask. Because sometimes you go in and they just see you as a healthy young woman with regular cycles and they just do what I call the pat, pat, rub, rub. And they say, you're Mm -hmm. great. You don't need anything. But if you go in with the right questions, you'll make sure to get exactly what you need out of that consult and you get all the tests done. Yes. So with that, can you give us those questions? You know, absolutely. I mean, when you do, when you have a consult with a doctor, you're doing usually a fertility health questionnaire, going through your medical problems, prior surgeries, your mammogram history, your pap smear history, family history. So if your doctor isn't asking you those questions, you know, you can, there, there are places to find these fertility health assessments mm-hmm. and then you can show them to that doctor. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you had um, chlamydia in the past. One exposure to chlamydia does put you at risk for having a tubal blockage. Well, if you didn't know that, you might be spending a year getting pregnant 
not realizing right. that you had no chance of getting pregnant and you needed to do IVF or you were at higher risk for ectopic pregnancy. So you should do a hysterosalpingogram ahead of time. Right. So questions you can ask are, is there anything about my gynecologic history, for example, that you think might put me at risk for preterm labor, preterm delivery, and ectopic pregnancy? Is there anything about my medical history or any of the medications that I'm taking that would do the same? You know, basically you want to ask the doctor, I want a healthy, happy baby. Always. That's what everyone wants. Obviously mm -hmm. we will accept whatever is meant to be for, you know, there for us, but going through your medical history, the medications you're taking, even allergies you have, um, your family history, for example, did your mom have a condition called preeclampsia? Did she have a miscarriage or stillbirth? That type of information is something your doctor will want to know even something like early menopause in your mom, that might help your doctor help you with family planning. You know, maybe your mom went into menopause at 40 and you're starting your family at 37, getting your hormone levels checked like your AMH might prevent you from having secondary infertility if you have an opportunity to freeze eggs or embryos at 37, for example, rather than finding out at 42 that you should have done it earlier. Right. So it's it's also kind of opens the door to make sure that you're having these questions answered with your family to kind of get like a good family history. Yeah. I mean, I feel like around the dinner table, because we see so much of this now in the media, we see like the, the Today Show doing a whole series on miscarriage. We have these conversations now. People are less alone. Certainly it's still isolating to have pregnancy complications and it's hard to talk about it, but it's getting easier and easier. I call it the Obama effect. I mean, when Michelle <laughs> Obama came out and said, I, I had IVF, then I said, look, IVF is now presidential. We all know right, someone right. who's had IVF. No one can ever say they don't know someone who had IVF treatment before. Yeah, I, it's funny. I remember when I did IVF, one of my friends was like, oh, I was the first IVF baby. I was like, right. or no, no, no. She was, uh, what, what? She was she was the first like surrogacy IVF baby yeah, yeah, in go yeah. but but and I was like oh and and it seemed like this was just one of those things that not pe people weren't talking about and this was only five and a half years ago so wow. it, it is shocking to me how far we've come and how right. common it is now right and so moms they need to tell their daughters you know that's one of the questions I asked young women I said did your mom use IVF to get pregnant with you did your mom have any problems getting pregnant with you. Are you, you know, are you the only child your mom had and why? Because if there's some genetic component to this or your mom had endometriosis or fibroids, that's one of those things you want to know now before it's too late. Right, 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 right. And so I guess like in, in this, like in, in a perfect world, how far in advance, like when, when should I start thinking about this as a female that like in my twenties, I'm like, I know that eventually I want a family, but like, I think most people are just like, well, when it, well, when it happens, then I'll start thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that I, I, I blame Botox for a <laughs> lot of the issues we're having because women look so amazing when they're 45, 50. And there's this perception that if you look amazing on the outside, then your ovaries mirror your beauty mm -hmm. and your ovaries aren't Grapes. I, I had someone tell me that a fertility, this, is, this sounds awful, a fertility doctor told her that her, the eggs on her ovaries were like grapes withering on a vine. I mean, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> I would never say that to anyone. No. But on the outside, since women are doing so well, you know, just taking care, just taking charge of their health, I want women to take, take charge of their fertility and understand it in their 20s when their eggs are the healthiest. So if there's a chance you want kids and maybe are open to more than one, 
you know, talk to your doctor, get your hormones checked, think about egg freezing. I want everyone to know about egg freezing, not everyone do egg freezing. I want everyone to know about it because if you know about it, then you're getting maybe your levels checked, maybe some other tests done so that potentially you don't have to go through the same heartache that my patients who are coming to me now at the age of 40 are going through. And 100% of them tell me, Amy, I wish someone like you was talking to me when I was 25, because Mm -hmm. I know I would have done something different, but I didn't know what questions to ask. That no, that's a good point. It like, can you talk a little bit? Of, because like, I, I keep hearing this like everything you know, everything gets harder at thirty five. But can you talk a little bit about eggs and like what like and their like like their life cycle in the female body? Like, when are they healthiest? When are like like just so that like that we can get like a good base level of understanding here. Absolutely. There's nothing about 35 that should be scary to people. If you look at fertility trends, our fertility rates start to go down even after 25. Mm -hmm. What happens after 35, the reason why that is a number that sticks in people's head is because of amniocentesis statistics. So amniocentesis is a test that you do to check for, let's say, Down syndrome. And Mm -hmm. so at the age of 35, your chance of miscarrying from the amniocentesis is basically the same as your chance of having a baby with Down syndrome. And so that's why we say there's some, you know, 35 is when you have to be really worried about having a, you know, having a baby with abnormalities, right? Right. But from a fertility standpoint, there are women who are on birth control pills from the time they're 16 until they're 28, stop their birth control pills at 28, only to find out that they're in menopause. Okay. And so, you know, I'm trying and no one is, you know, no one is partnering with me, but I'm trying to partner with a birth control pill company so that everyone who starts birth control pills gets their AMH level checked and a carrier screen to make sure that they don't have a clotting disorder. So they don't get a, you know, blood clot in their leg or lung before they start it. And then every year when you're refilling your birth control pills, you should get another check just to make sure things are trending in the right way, that they aren't dropping more rapidly than they should based on your age. And, you know, everyone should know that a hormone level doesn't say if you're fertile or not. Certainly there are women who, and you've probably heard these stories too, where they have 10 eggs retrieved and not a single one of them is viable, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Aside from going through something like that, the only other way to know would, or in, you know, in a, in, a, in a sense, would be to get your levels checked. And so for some people, 28 might be too late, you know? And right. so that's why I tell people, if you're 21 years old and your mom had a hard time getting pregnant with you, had endometriosis, or you have really painful periods, have had chlamydia, or have had an ovary removed, for example, or a cyst surgery, get your levels checked and consider egg freezing. And then if you're 25 with none of the things that I mentioned, still get your levels checked and then talk to someone about what your family size goals are. Because we're being exposed not to be too paranoid, but if dolphins in the ocean have BPA in their bodies, right? Dolphins don't eat plastic. They Mm -hmm. shouldn't. I mean, there's something in our environment. It's not just aging. Of course, aging has a lot to do with it, but I think there's more than just aging. So that's why I'm trying, I'm not trying to scare people into thinking that there's an infertility epidemic out there, but these issues are so common by doing these things early on, hopefully people will have, like I say all the time, less heartache and don't have to come see someone like me in the future for treatment. No, that that's, that's 
It's really scary. <laughs> I literally yeah. just. Well, I mean, the, just to add one thing is like when you talk to a fertility doctor, it doesn't mean you have to do treatment. You know, right? I mean, just talking to someone just get, it's an education. It's a process, and then you learn more about yourself, and then you might have an actionable plan, and then you talk to the doctor and see, you know, what makes sense for you. But just seeing a doctor and getting education doesn't mean you have to do IVF or you have to do IUI or you have to egg freeze. It just gets you, um, just gives you knowledge that you wouldn't have been able to get from a YouTube show or from an egg freezing party or from your friends or family members or neighbors. Exactly, exactly. Now, you mentioned birth control, and I kind of want to back up and talk about that for a bit because I think like this is one of those things that comes up with all of my friends who I've talked to who are like in the trying to conceive world right now. Like they're, you know, they, they're like, well, I'm going to get off birth control and really figure out like how long it takes my body to get back to normal and what, you know, what like, – so can you talk a little bit about what the impact birth control has on our bodies? Like what are some of the misconceptions out there? Because I think like everybody thinks that if you're on birth control for 15 years, it's going to impact your ability to get pregnant. But I, I don't I don't know what that truth is because I feel like I see I, – I hear – like you can – I mean you can find evidence to suggest anything. So I just love yeah. your perspective on that. Absolutely. I mean, birth control pills without a doubt, I think it mess, it can mess us up, mess up your brain mm-hmm. and um, your hormones in your brain, like serotonin levels, norepinephrine levels. So some people are really sensitive to it and actually make them, can make them feel like they're crazy and very depressed. Mm-hmm. So that's a concern I have when young women are put on them because they're very vulnerable and a lot of people are depressed anyway. So sometimes we can worsen mood symptoms with birth control pills. Mm-hmm. From a fertility standpoint, there's no such thing as needing a birth control pill, quote unquote, wash out before you try and get pregnant. There's yeah. a reason why birth control pills are dosed daily because the day, the next day, if you don't take a birth control pill, it's out of your system. So I've had patients come to me and actually well-intentioned doctors have actually told them you need to be on birth control pills for a year before you can get pregnant again or yeah. try and get pregnant. There, there's, that's not a true and factual statement. When it comes to getting pregnant, you can start right away. After your last birth control pill, if you have regular cycles, you should ovulate within about 14 days or so. So there's no reason to wait to try. And birth control pills masks infertility, right? They make you right. think you're having regular periods and they make you feel like you're fertile because you're having these regular periods. But you would never know if you really do or not unless you stop them. So, I mean, those are really the biggest myths is that, you know, they harm your chances of getting pregnant, you know, and, and there's that washout. So those are the two biggest myths that I probably have to, you know, bust, you know, several times a week. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I we get asked that question a lot and I'm like, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this, is not, this is not the field that I'm in. I would yeah. ask your OB. Um, but yeah, it's the, I, it's the, there you like see all these businesses popping up about these like birth control cleanses. And I'm like, I don't feel like that's a thing. <laughs> it's not a thing. It's really yeah. not a thing. I mean, a cleanse is a cleanse. I mean, right. getting healthy is always a good thing, but regarding, you know, as far as meaning it because you took birth control pills, that's nonsense as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Yes. And so what, what typically like I've, I have read happens is that, and I think you've kind of just alluded to it is that people are irregular before they go on birth control. They get on birth control because they're trying to regulate their period. The birth control per, like basically gives them the illusion that they are now regulated and now they think for the next 15 years that they have a regular period, they get off the birth control mm-hmm. and obviously things go back to the way that they were before. And or they don't like, have oh, the birth- 
or they don't have periods at all. Like the reason right, why right. they had irregular periods could have been that they were running out of eggs and no one did the simple test that they could have done to have more knowledge. And that's what's so frustrating for me. Yeah, it is shocking that like there is no like like before you start a drug that you're going to take every day that there's no like, hey, let's just give you let's, – let's do some testing before we give you this. Right. <laughs> Right. I'm, and I'm trying to educate people so more and more people know to ask for it. There are some really great doctors that do this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but I would say still the word is not out. It just isn't because people are just so busy. You know, it's just like, go to the doctor. This is what you need and go on your way. No, like, hey, you know, you might want to think about this or that or even talk about kids while you're right. there talking about birth control pills. I think also the problem is that in most cases, at least it was for me, like I was 16 when I got on birth control. I wasn't concerned. I was very concerned with not having children and, and like that's, you know, like that, if that was the reason. So if you said, Hey, we should do these things like, and make sure I would have been like, that's not my uh, problem. So I think it's, it's like, it's educating early. Right. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have, as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juna Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co, and when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD, all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Now, back to the show. Any other misconceptions about fertility that you want to shed some light on? Yeah, that your fertility is like your mom's. I mean, when you're trying to get pregnant at 40 and your mom had you at 22, there's nothing about your fertility that's like your mom's. And I hear it all the time. Everyone in my family is so fertile. My grandma had six kids. And then when I asked the patient, well, how old was your grandma when she had her youngest? 22. It's like she had six kids from like age 16 to 22. My grandma had my mom when she was a teenager. My mom had me when she was 25. And I didn't start having kids until I was 32. And by the time my kids are ready to have kids, they're probably going to be 45 to 50 because I'm seeing so many patients over the age of 45. So the things that we're talking about right now and a generation from now, this is just going to be automatic. People are going to be doing these things. We're, 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 we're trendsetting right now. We're trendsetters by talking about it and preparing for preparing people for it. So that's one huge misconception that I deal with a lot. The other is that sperm doesn't matter, you know, Oh, sperm doesn't matter, but we're learning more and more that, for example, if a guy smokes weed, even one day a week, his partner, even if she doesn't smoke weed is at a higher risk of miscarriage and then age 
as women are getting older, that means their partners are older too. So if you're partnered with someone who's over a certain age, you are potentially at risk for having a baby with different abnormalities, miscarriages, schizophrenia, ADD, ADHD, autism. So I don't just talk about egg freezing when I'm talking to patients. I also talk about sperm freezing. So if I see someone and they're starting their family, I talk to them about how many kids they want, how old they think they're going to be when they have their last kid. And then I say to the guy, look, if I had 32-year-old sperm when you're 40, I promise you I'd want to use your 32-year-old sperm. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. Do you know how easy it is to freeze sperm? So that's the kind of stuff that people won't get at their OBGYN's visit. But when you see a fertility expert, they'll be able to talk to you about this and help you with them. I didn't even know sperm freezing was a thing. Oh, it's so I, I thought <laughs> this is a funny thing. So sperm freezing party, I actually threw a sperm free, freezing party. I think it was October of 2016. It was my first and last one. It just got too weird. <laughs> I just want to educate people about sperm freezing. Yeah. It, it yeah, can you talk a little bit more about cuz cuz I I think about I have you know I have a friend that went through all of these testing like it just everything was about her and then it like finally at the end it was like well nothing's wrong with you and then they finally just tested her partner's sperm and it was like oh yeah it's it's his sperm and I'm like well wouldn't that have been an easier test <laughs> like than, exactly and like less expensive so I, it's like why does everyone kind of jump to the female it's just it's it's we blame women for everything you know I even do <laughs> that for my patients who are over 40 we do the same thing I don't you know, I have patients that are told you need donor eggs, and I'm like, no, you actually need donor sperm. And then people are surprised when they say, when I say that, they're like, you're the first doctor who has said that. I'm like, yeah, because I'm not scared. I'm not going to sugarcoat the sperm results. We're all adults in the room, so get right. the sperm checked. I promise you. You know, if you take five fertility doctors, all women, and you ask them how many of you had your husbands, if you're heterosexual, sperm checked before you even got engaged, probably four out of five would say I got my husband's sperm checked first before we even got engaged. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's easy to do. And there's a do DIY, do-it-yourself kit that you can get now. And I'm not affiliated with the company at all. It's called Yo Y-O Sperm Test. And, you know, you won't get sperm on your cell phone or anything like that, but you can order it, get your sperm checked out, get a report. So for people who don't have access to a local clinic, I know there are people in this country who are hours away from a clinic. So this is the way that you can get it done. The report's reliable. I love the test because, you know, collecting in a cup, it's uncomfortable for guys. There's nothing sexy about that cup. Believe me. Nope. So, So that's a really easy way to get a test done as part of your trimester zero, part of your planning for your family. And how much is that? I think it's around a hundred bucks or less. I think it's around seventy dollars okay. or something like that. So very manageable very when manageable. you're in this. A semen analysis yeah. at a fertility lab is anywhere from like one fifty to two hundred fifty dollars. So this is pretty comparable as far as the information that you're gonna get. And I highly recommend it to people who have, you know, a barrier to, you know, access is an issue for them because of where they live geographically, or if they're just so busy with their life with with work that getting to a clinic would be hard. This is a great way of overcoming that barrier. Yeah. And so what other things do you recommend women do as they're beginning their trying to conceive journey? So see a doctor, doctor. get everything figured out. Absolutely. And I have these five tests that I, or these five steps that I talk to people about. You might've heard about it. It's called the Tushy method. So, you know, see, get a pelvic ultrasound. You know, you go to an annual exam and we get those pap smears. A pelvic ultrasound is such an easy thing to do to make sure there's no fibroids or polyps in the uterus that you should have removed before you suffer a miscarriage or something worse. You know what I mean? 
you know, right. getting the sperm checked is one of them, getting your fallopian tubes checked. And it's not like everyone needs to get their fallopian tubes checked. But if, for example, you had an exposure to chlamydia, like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, getting an HSG done up front will save you a lot of, you know, heartache. And people think mm-hmm. that you alternate ovulations. I've had patients say to me, every odd month, I ovulate on the left side. And I'm like, there's no such thing. You know, that's just not a thing. Right. So you wouldn't really know which side you're ovulating on. You can only get pregnant on the side that you have an open tube on and there's like a one in a million chance that maybe that egg will go over to the other side. It is possible, but it's a very, by the way, I am that one in a million. I have seen it once. (laughs) I've now I've seen it twice. It absolutely can happen. I mean, like I said, it's super, super rare, but it is definitely a thing that can happen, but it's very rare. Again, like in the last 12 years, I've had it happen to one patient and now you. So it's definitely possible. I, I, I'm missing a tube. So I don't know if that has – like I had a tube removed mm-hmm. and this pe- this past pregnancy, the one I'm, with, I'm pregnant right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. and my – I was like I, – I was sure I wasn't pregnant because I – I like I'm, ve- I'm very in tune with my body and I was yeah. like I know I ovulated from the right side. Like yeah. there's no way I'm pregnant. Right. And – I was pregnant. And so, and finally I was like, well, maybe I was wrong. And then I asked at my 12 week appointment and he was like, nope, you ovulated on that side. And I was like, wow. And we can see that. (laughs) And we can see that on ultrasound. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely possible. And so the other things would be your hormones. Like make sure you don't have a thyroid disorder. Your prolactin is normal. Your blood count's normal. You know, you hear about Mm -hmm. outbreaks of measles and mumps. Getting measles and mumps as an adult is not as big of a deal as getting it in pregnancy. So, you know, if you Mm -hmm. don't have those things checked, you don't have the opportunity to get a vaccine in pregnancy, you have to learn that ahead of time. And when you go to your OB visit, your first time pregnant, sometimes people do those tests as part of your prenatal screening. And it's a missed opportunity if you find out that you're non-immune at the beginning of your pregnancy. You could have done the vaccine before pregnancy, but you can't do it in pregnancy. And the other thing that I do is check a genetic screen and even a chromosome analysis. And so all that stuff spells out tubes, uterus, sperm, hormones, and your genetics. So that's where Tushy Method comes from. And is that stuff that you can do with a normal OB or is that someone? Totally. Okay. I think, you know, the problem is that when you go to your OB, they're going to be like, oh, it's going to be so expensive. It might not be, you know, an HSG, a tube test is around $450 out of pocket. An ultrasound, if your insurance doesn't cover it, could be around 250 to as high as 700. Sperm test, if you are doing it with your sperm test, you know, under 100 bucks up to 250. Your hormone panel, if you're just doing the um, FSH, estradiol, and AMH, around 175 or upwards of about 400 if you include all the preconception tests, and then your carrier Mm -hmm. screen plus a chromosome analysis around 500 bucks. So if you add it all up, certainly, I mean, it does add up. But if you think about the cost of having a procedure in pregnancy, like from a miscarriage and your medical costs associated with that, I think that doing those tests up front and the cost, it's just definitely justified and I think will be worth your while. Okay. No, that's, that's, and, and if you were to, I know, like, I know if you were to pick, if I'm like, a money is tight, but I like really think that this is important. What is like the two that you'd be like, definitely do those? Sperm test and the AMH. Okay. And then the carrier screen, you know, there are programs if money is really tight, some of these genetic testing companies will provide discounts for patients. Okay. That's, I remember when I I think I did genetic carrier too. I mean, I I definitely did, but Mm -hmm. we found out some stuff and I was just like, oh, that's just so interesting Mm -hmm. like that. And I never would have known that. Right. So can you, like you, you kind of touched on it, but can you give us some guidelines around like like what are the like 
what are the ages in which I like really need like it, I mean does I, like for a normal person who doesn't have a history of of like early menopause in their family but like like if I'm 25 should I I should be thinking about freezing my eggs if I'm 32 and I want three kids should I be considering harvesting embryos like what are yeah. can you kind of like talk a little bit about that yeah. yeah I mean if you're starting at 25 and you want at least two kids that's a good time if you have time in your schedule and life to to go through an egg freeze no one regrets freezing eggs you know I mean certainly mm-hmm. there are some stories online that you can read about but the only thing people regret is not doing it or not doing it soon enough or young enough right And then I tell people, if you're 32 and you want at least two kids and you're partnered and haven't had one yet, then freeze embryos. And then you can also consider eggs and embryos because some, you know, having frozen embryos that you may not use in the future can be tough on people emotionally. So talking to a psychologist ahead of time, all my patients have the opportunity to talk to one. I talk to all of them about how many kids they want, what they would do with unused embryos first, not after the fact. Because if you mm-hmm. found out after the fact that you had other options, you might be annoyed. And I don't like it when people don't feel like they had adequate informed consent before they move forward with that, with, with whatever treatment they choose. No, that that makes sense. It's it is an interesting balance. I think what my husband and I are going through that right now, yeah. like to like what to do, and it's not. It, it's just interesting, like how it changes over time too. And after you have a kid, you're like, oh, oh, this is just a different. Now it's a different equation for some reason. Right. When you don't have Um, embryos, you can't imagine having embryos. And then when you have lots of embryos and you have your kid, you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do with my embryos? So, you know, that's why egg freezing technology is so good. And so if you're, let's say 32 and you have 20 eggs retrieved, maybe just make embryos out of 10 and then freeze the rest as eggs. And then if you happen to need the eggs, well, you have them there, but you know, discarding an egg is doesn't feel the same as discarding an embryo for most of my patients. Oh, totally, totally. It's 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 interesting. I'm glad that you just broke that down because I didn't even, I wasn't like making a connection of the two of like, um, oh, when, when I had done one, I could have like divided up my eggs. That's a, hmm. and again, I think that's had that been like had I went through that counseling, I would have been like, oh, that that's an interesting way to think about it. Um, right. And you may not have I, chosen it, but at least knowing right. it's an option, then you made the right decision for you so that whatever happens in the future, you don't look back and say, I wish someone had told me. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, let's let's kind of dive a little bit into secondary infertility because mm-hmm. I feel like this is something that is a lot more common and I think very shocking when it happens to someone. Yeah. And it, it's one of those myths that as long as I get pregnant with the first baby... I'm not going to have a problem with the second baby. And when I tell my patients, look, if it took you three years to get pregnant with baby number one, I want that myth to apply to you. But statistically speaking, the chance that you're going to get pregnant without a struggle for baby number two is probably low. Mm -hmm. Certainly there are people just like you got pregnant naturally on the side that you didn't have a tube on, right? Right, right. Or you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Yeah. And But for the most part, Like I want people not to need to see me for their second baby, but I educate patients as soon as you go to your postpartum visit, even if you didn't have a fertility struggle, if you haven't had your hormone levels checked, get them checked. Because what happens is you wait two years for your second baby, right? Most people don't start Mm -hmm. trying within six months. Two years later, you're two years older, your eggs are older. Think of that ridiculous analogy of your 
eggs like grapes withering on the vine. <laughs> you want to pluck them and use them when they're still as you know round as possible, right? So when you go to harvest your eggs two years later, you don't want to wish someone had told you you should have done it sooner than later. So for example, if you're having your first baby at 37 and you want a second baby, the time to think about these things isn't at 40. So I tell people, right. look, if you're 40 and starting a family, you must know that most women cannot get pregnant with their with a pregnancy using their own eggs at 40 without a struggle. And even if you work hard for it, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how smart you are, how great a doctor you, you have, the eggs are either going to be there or not. And the number of eggs you're working with could be around one to three, and no fertility doctor can turn that number into 20. Right. Yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, and I you know it's I think that those when when faced with the like the actual numbers, it right. becomes even tougher. And 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 not knowing about it in advance, like I think like that's a conversation that every OB should have with someone when they come in is that family planning discussion. Right. And I think because the doctor's already spent after managing your pregnancy for nine months, they're like, just go away. Don't come back for two more years. <laughs> but my thing is ask the question, get the level checked, freeze sperm if there was a sperm issue and you guys did six IUI. So if I have a couple and the sperm count was low and I helped them get pregnant with IUI and didn't do IVF, I'm like, at their first OB visit, they look at me like I have three eyes and maybe a horn. I'm like, let's get your sperm frozen. And they're like, what? You, we just heard the heartbeat. Why would we do that? I'm like, look, you know, I want you to have young, strong sperm. Obviously, it was strong enough to help you guys get pregnant right now. You're not going to regret freezing it. You're only going to regret not freezing it for when you're ready to have another baby in two or three years. Now, do you think that these conversations, like people are going to be more, like they will start to happen more when these alternative options or interventions become more affordable? Because like if it, it would, I would be frustrated if I was listening to this and IVF was just never going to be in the cards for me. Like there was no way for me to find the money or my insurance didn't cover it. And yeah. so I mean, the can way you talk I think a little about bit of, it, there's yeah. always a way. There are financing companies. You can pay it off slowly over time, three to five years. There are parts of this country where IVF is a lot more affordable. I mean, in the Bay Area, the IVF fees are astronomical. They're, mm. you know, probably the highest. Like everything any else. Other <laughs> Absolutely. Our cost of living is yeah. through the roof. IVF fees are through the roof as well. But you don't have to leave the country to get the care that you need. So I tell patients there are certain centers that have really good fees and have a great rep, I mean, really low fees comparatively and have a great reputation. Mm -hmm. So, that, you know, there's, there's still a way to make it happen. Got it. And do you think that this, like, that this will become more affordable over time? I, I, I think so. I think you're, you're seeing more states with mandated coverage. Mm -hmm. recently the state of New York. And so there are going to be other states across the country that will be mandating coverage. And then very soon, I predict, not necessarily in the next 20 years, but, but maybe in the next 40 years, that we're going to be like other countries where we are going to pay people to freeze their eggs and freeze their embryos. Because for example, like Japan, their death rate is higher than their birth rate. They will run out of people in their country. So they are oh, paying wow. and subsidizing patients' care. So I do see that at some point 
I predict that we will see that in our future just because of what we're exposed to in the environment and how late people are waiting to have babies and just the just the way society is changing, that it will be not only accessible, I think people are going to be incentivized to do this so that society can just continue to grow from a population standpoint. That's, well, that would be, that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> so when in the, in like the trying to conceive journey, do, do uh, couples typically see a reproductive endocrinologist? You know, it's variable. I have patients who are proactive and they come to me mm-hmm. at trimester zero. They're like, yeah, we want to have two kids. We know we're a little bit older. We're starting at like 36. Just tell us what we need to do, what we need to learn. You know, what do you think? You know? Mm-hmm. You know, then I also have patients who've been trying for three months and they just get super frustrated and they want to come in. And then patients who've been trying like two, three years, eight years, probably one of the longest journeys I, I have helped with is a patient who was trying 15 years. And oh my God. they ultimately had two kids. So I've seen it all. I've seen the entire spectrum from like the 21 year old who was thinking about her fertility and then comes to me when she's married, she froze her eggs. We use her eggs, you know, it's all, all, all sorts of things. But for the mm-hmm. most part, education is so key and important in this process. Yes. And can you, cause I think this is a myth that we um, haven't touched on yet, mm-hmm. but I think you probably have a really strong opinion about it yeah. is the, it's like zero to six months. If it takes you like the average time it takes you to conceive. And then like, if it takes you longer, then you should see a reproductive endocrinologist after, you know, like it's like after one year, if it, if you've been trying for one year with no success before 35 right. and after 35, it's six months. And these are really insurance rules now. I mean, insurance right. will say, we won't pay for your care unless this or that, but you, you I mean, obviously people don't want to pay. If you have the coverage, you want to use it, but you don't need to do that. You don't need a referral from somebody to see a fertility doctor. You can see a fertility doctor. And most people don't have those kinds of rules placed on them by their insurance companies. For the most part, if you want to see a fertility doctor and just get these checks done that I reviewed earlier on this podcast, you can do it without fear that your insurance won't cover it, but obviously talk to your insurance carrier first. Mm-hmm. So they may cover it, you're saying, if, if, even if... Yeah. If, I mean, like... it's if you're over 35, typically, if you've been trying for six months or more, then you'll get coverage. But every insurance is different. Most insurance, for example, in California, example in California, you don't have to prove that you've been trying for a certain period of time before you see a fertility doctor. You can self-refer. You don't need your OBGYN to refer you. Right. How do you even prove that you've been trying for so long? It's a statement you make. <laughs> you just have to say, "I've been trying for a year," you know, or that "I've been trying crazy. for six months." It does. It really. Does. Yeah. I'm like, I'll say whatever. Yeah, I know. I'm not saying why, but find out what your insurance requires and then say that. Exactly. Um, So my last question for you is just, we've, we've like talked about it a little bit, but if you could just kind of talk about the different options, like what are these different interventions? Like there's, there's like letrozole, Clomid, IUI, IVF, like what, like what are they each? What would, when would they come into play? And Absolutely. So the three questions I ask patients are, what do you want? What is it going to take to get what you want? And are you willing to do it? Right. And so Mm -hmm. in order to know what it takes to get what you want, you have to go through the tissue method. You have to know what your fertility diagnosis is. Okay. And then Mm -hmm. what it takes to get you what you want are the options. Okay. So for example, if someone already has one child and they just want one more and the sperm is good, the fallopian tubes are open, then fertility pills might be a good option with or without IUI. IUI, think of a turkey baster, intrauterine insemination. 
you just take the sperm, concentrate it in a syringe, attach a catheter, put it at the top of the uterus. When you take fertility pills, however, there might be a higher risk of twins for you, meaning mm-hmm. you will potentially ovulate maybe more than one egg. And people need to know that for some people that would not be acceptable. Right. Then the next option is injectables. So that's fertility injections to help you recruit more than one egg. So you ovulate more than one egg and give yourself a higher chance of pregnancy. In women who are older, I don't hesitate to help them ovulate, let's say three eggs, even four. For example, if you're over 37, ovulating that number of eggs might be needed to give you the highest chance of having one baby because each egg only has a 25% chance of being genetically normal at 37. Okay. Mm. And then we have IVF. IVF is usually required if you have blocked fallopian tubes, really low sperm counts. And then it's also used for fertility preservation. So if you are 37, you have one baby you might want to, or, and you want two more, you might want to do IVF freeze embryos. So you have enough embryos for your third baby. If you're going to have your third over the age of 40 and the benefit of IVF with that, you have the option of doing genetic testing as well on your embryos. So you can do an IVF with a fresh transfer, which means putting an embryo in five days later or a frozen transfer with or without genetic testing. And that just means banking your embryos. There's no such thing as freezer berm. And you can choose to get a report back that tells you which embryo is, for example, has normal chromosomes and is, for example, one gender or another one. Got it. And and, and, and with, with the, the – and that's – is that P – I've heard like 16 different – is it PGD, PGT, yeah. PGS? So, no, no, <laughs> PGT. so that's the, the next generation of PGS. So PGT, okay, so and then PGT. PGT, you can do PGTA, PGTM, PGTSR. PGTA just means complete chromosome screening. PGTM means complete chromosome screening and looking for a specific disease. And that's why you would do the carrier screen as part of the Tushy method, right? So the Y is your genetic background. And then mm-hmm. PGTSR is for people who have, let's say, a structural rearrangement and an extra, like a translocation so that you can screen embryos for that and decrease the risk of that person having a miscarriage. And this is one of those things too that you can actually like screen out the Baraka gene or Absolutely. right. And that's part of your yeah, your genetics. So yeah. that's part of my fertility assessment is asking people if they have a family history of breast cancer, colon cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, and other cancers. And these tests is just a check, just check a box that you check. So these tests used to be super expensive. We're talking thousands of dollars. That, that's mm-hmm. ninety nine dollars now. So the carrier, the PGS. Test? No, no, no. Oh no, the carrier. I was like, wait. <laughs> and then you can screen out the breast cancer gene in your embryos if you are, if you, if that's in your family and something that you want to do. Right. Got it. Well, this has been just super enlightening. Did I miss anything? Is there anything where you're like, we should cover that? No. I mean, I just don't want to scare people. I want people to look <laughs> forward to pregnancy, but. I, I want people to know that when you say, I want to get pregnant, you have to accept the fact that you may not have a perfect pregnancy. You may not have a healthy baby, right? That's just life. Mm-hmm. And so supporting people around that and making sure that people are supported in all trimesters from zero to four, and four is that postpartum period where women are the most vulnerable, is extremely important to me and I know to you as well. So thank you for all you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you so much for your time here today. Of course. My pleasure, Sarah. Okay, that's it. For more from our reproductive endocrinologists, you can find Dr. Amy Avazida at dramee.org. That's D-R-A-I-M-E-E.org. If you have any questions, comments, or need some guidance on fertility, please email me at sarah at juna.co. 
I've been through the gauntlet when it comes to fertility and can help point you in the right direction. On the next episode, we'll be talking to naturopathic doctor, Dr. Saru Bala, who comes at fertility and hormonal issues from a slightly different perspective. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.